Thank you for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me in my cyber home, rickthomas.net. If you have a question for me, something that you want to deal with, something that you have a question about, a situational difficulty that you may be in, or a relational conflict, what we do here at this ministry is twofold. We provide resources for the body of Christ. We have multiplied thousands of resources in all kinds of formats. You're listening to one of those formats now, which is a podcast. And so you can come to our ministry and you can access these resources. But the second thing that we do is that we are a come-alongside ministry. We just don't give you resources and say, be warmed and filled and run with it, do the best you can. We want to come alongside you and The reason that we do that is because I've been counseling for 20 years now, and I know that when people come to us in a standard, traditional counseling office, they they come because they've gotten to that place where they need help, and giving them a book is not usually not the most effective thing that you can do. It's a good start. It's a good help. It's supplemental. But what counselors do is, is in addition to give resources, we come alongside the individual to walk with them through it. Well, we have taken that idea of discipleship in the traditional sense, and now we do it in a cyber sense. And so we have all of these resources at our ministry, rickthomas.net would be the URL. But in addition to that, we don't want to leave you alone We want to come alongside you. We want to customize care to you and whatever the specific situation that you are going through. And so those are the two primary things that our ministry does. Now, some people are able to take our resources and adapt them to their lives, and, and they don't need our help. And that's fantastic that they can do that. But sometimes, a lot of times, actually, Uh, People need more than the resources, and so we want to provide both. Now, those are for the people who are hurting, but we also help pastors, elders, small group leaders, biblical counselors. We provide resources for them, and we also give them advice as well. We come alongside them with people that they are counseling. And so if you have an individual that you are working with and you need some advice— We would love to help you with that. We have forums available that you can get on and you can ask your question. What we ask people to do is to flatten out your question. You don't have to use proper names. You can just say, my church or this person, this relative that I'm working with or that I'm engaging with and I would like some advice on this and we would be glad to help you that way. In this episode, this is episode 110. The name of it is Help for the Angry Person. And so I want to deal with an entire podcast. I want to deal with anger in an entire podcast. Because anger is such a a huge issue. And if you go to the show notes for episode 110, Help for the Angry Person, I have a ton of resources in this particular uh, show notes. I have this podcast that you're listening to. I have a graphic that you can look at. I have a video under 10 minutes that you can watch. 
I have a link to my book called Mad that you can get in our store or Amazon or iTunes. I also have links to other uh, articles. In fact, there's a link here to all of my articles on anger that are sitting on our website. As of this podcast, episode 110, this link will take you to 49 articles. Now, that's important because if you struggle with anger or if you are helping someone who struggles with anger, then I would encourage you to access just this one page here, episode 110 on our website. And that will be a portal that will take you to a ton of resources on this one topic. And it will give you a lot of help for all things anger, whether it's a video, an audio, this podcast, a graphic, or a whole bunch of articles. And so please get that. Sinful anger comes from the heart of a weak person who has not learned how to submit his desires to the obedience of Christ. I'm using the pronoun in this podcast of he, him, his, but if you are a female, it applies to you as well. But what it, what we want to do, what I want to address in this podcast is not, not just the external behavior of anger, what you experience, which is hurtful and powerful if, you're on, if you are on the other end of anger. And I have been on the other end of it many times. For those of you who have followed this ministry for a while, you know that I had and an abusive alcoholic father for the first 19 years of my life, and he died at 42 years of age. And so I understand what it's like to be on the other end of anger. And when it's coming at you, it is powerful. It is strong. It's harsh. It's hurtful. It is abusive. And it messes you up spiritually, and it can mess you up physically as well. But the irony to anger is that it comes from the heart of a weak person. And what I mean by that is that the angry person has not submitted themselves to the obedience of Christ. They are weak in that they are broken down and they are under the control of another individual. And so when you are helping someone who is habituated in anger, the way Paul talked about it in Galatians 6.1, they are caught it owns them. It has caught them. That's In the modern language, we would say it's an addiction. And that's fine. They are addicted. They have habituated themselves for so long. But when you are wanting to help them, you have to understand that even though they come across strong, they iterate as powerful, and it is, But as you get inside them, you will find that they are weak people, caught, broken down people. Now, a couple of things before I get more into this in a deeper way is I have an article here that's on righteous anger, and I've I've linked it here. And, And the reason for that is every time that I talk about anger, somebody always says something about righteous anger. And so I don't, I'm not talking about righteous anger in this podcast, but I have a link here to an article, and if you want to read about it, you can, and it, it explains what righteous anger is, the kind of person that righteous anger comes out of. Christ is that person and the effect that it has on people, and you can read about that in that article. But what I'm talking about here is sinful anger. 
And I think it's also important, too, to make sure that we're, when we're talking about anger that we have our categories right. Normally, when I talk about anger, a person will hear anger as a volatile anger, loud anger, throwing chairs across the room anger. Now that is, uh, and road rage. And the anger that we see in social media daily, if you follow social media, now that is a part of anger. That's an aspect of anger, and it's very real. But most of us don't live in that world, and we don't act out our anger that way. And so there is a subtle side to anger as well. And I have a graphic here. It, it may be the most popular graphic of our ministry. We have over a hundred of these infographics. But I would say that this would be in the top five without question. It's been circulated so many times, and it's called the anger spectrum. Now, the story behind the anger spectrum is I was in a church a few years ago teaching some leaders about some counseling things, and there was a wife and her husband. They were there, and she was talking about getting angry at her husband. Now, she wasn't angry at the time. She was talking in humility and transparency, and it was a wonderful conversation. But as I was listening to her, she said, well, I mean, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. And then she used a couple other synonyms. And as she was talking, I, was, I started writing these synonyms to anger on the whiteboard. And then when she was done, began walking through it, and I just began adding more and more synonyms on the board until I had like, you know, maybe 30 on the board. And we walked through it, and, and by the time that we were finished with that part of the talk, everybody had a lot of clarity that anger is not always boiling mad in physical abuse, sexual abuse, or verbal abuse. Those are elements of anger, no question. Those are the harsher forms of anger. But there are also other forms of anger that we normal Christians, if I can say, struggle with. Stubbornness, dismissiveness, negativity, defensive, slander, gossip, criticalness, apathy, impatience, cynicism, disappointment. And so you want to make sure that when you're talking to people, like you're counseling someone about anger, be clear with them. Because when you say anger, there's a good chance that they're going to upload that word with loud anger. And more than likely, most of the time, that's not what you'll be talking about with them. You'll be talking about the subtle forms of anger. And so I have a the anger spectrum here that shows loud anger on one side and many iterations, though it's not an exhaustive treatment of loud anger. And then on the other side, I have subtle anger. And I just listed several of those elements of subtle anger. And there's more here too, like huffing under the breath and manipulation and condemnation and rolling the eyes. But I would encourage you to look at this graphic and be familiar with it and make sure that when you are counseling or discipling someone about anger, that they have a comprehensive understanding of the iterations of anger so that you will be able to help them. And what you will find is that anger is a universal problem. Everybody struggles with it. 
to varying degrees. Now, that in itself should be humbling to us, and it should remove all self-righteousness from our lives when it comes to anger, because they may manifest their anger in road rage or in another type of way that's louder than the way you use your anger, but your gossip or criticalness or rolling of the eyes or huffing under the breath or impatience. And impatience is one of my long-standing sins and showing discretion and self-control and patience with people. It's been a regular challenge in my life. And so I can't judge the other person who gets angry in more volatile ways as though I am different from him. Now, the consequences of his sin is different. If you hit somebody, that's way, way different consequentially than rolling your eyes at someone or gossiping about someone. But as far as sin is concerned, just sin, which sin will put Christ on the cross? Every one of them. Any one of them, whether it's the more respected sins, acceptable sins, or the meaner or harsher sins. And so everybody struggles with it to varying degrees. Whenever a person chooses sinful anger, he is, in effect, giving the other person control over him. Now, this is an irony. This is one of those ironies about anger. And it's why I said earlier that the person is a weak person, even though it It manifests as strong and powerful and harsh and hurtful, which it is. If you get inside of anger, what you will see is a broken down person. It is a weak person. And in this point that I'm making here, it's a person who is giving himself power or giving the other person power over him. In the moment of his anger, he's like a marionette. He's like a puppet on a string. Anger towards someone is the total submission of your thoughts, your emotions, your attitudes, your behaviors to that person. You want something that they have. You want their love, you want their respect, whatever it may be, but you want something that they have, and that thing that they possess is so controlling that you're using anger as a manipulative tactic to get it. I've often said that anger is the manipulative tactic of an insecure person who is trying to get something from somebody. It's not self-control. Self-control, as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, self-control is when God is controlling you and has brought you under the control of the obedience of Christ. You are controlled. The angry person is under the control of someone else. And of course, that someone else is the other person across the room or whatever it is that that person wants, even if it's a ball game that you're watching. You're not getting the results that you want. And so your expectation is, I mean, the player on that game has control over you, meaning if he catches the ball and scores a touchdown... Or the opposing team, if he intercepts the ball and stops the other team, their encroachments, then you are fine. But if they do not make the right play, you're angry. And so you are totally under the control of someone else that is not God. And that is a dangerous place to to subject yourself. And that's why it's important when you Think about anger, that you address it more than just behaviorally, which is what James does in James 4, 1 and 2. 
And I would encourage you to make sure that this passage is a go-to passage with you when it comes to dealing with anger, whether it's yours or somebody else, because James is asking a causal question. The second word in the sentence, what causes quarrels? He's asking a source question. And it's important for you to intuit the answer to this. He asked it twice in the same sentence. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And then he answers the question by saying, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. There's three synonyms that he uses in this verse, in his answer, in James 1 and 2. He says, it's your passions is your cause, your desires is your cause, your coveting is your cause. And he uses these synonyms so that he can drive home the point that the cause is inside of you, not that other person across the room or not the person who did not catch the pass or whatever it is that you're venting about, venting, a synonym for anger, whatever it is that you're venting about, that the cause is inside of you. And so when you begin to deal with an angry person, you must go inward and help them to see that there is something broken inside of them that is not submitted to God. The crux of the matter is that an angry person needs something. And I'm putting the words need, the word need, in quotation marks. And this is why there's an elevated expectation and a plummeting disappointment each time the angry person's expectation is not met. I need something. And so what we've done, what the angry person has done is he has stretched the word need out like the world's largest bucket. And he's put so many things in it. And if those needs aren't met, then his elevated expectation because of what he needs turns into plummeting disappointment when it's not met, and he responds in anger. Angry individuals are weak people. Now, the real question that we have to answer in situations like this is, do you really need what is causing your anger? Now, that is something that you do want to unpack in the person. Now, maybe the individual needs what it is, whatever it is that he's venting toward. How many arguments have you gotten into with someone only to look back on it to realize how silly it was? If you're like me, there have been many times where you have had elevated something that's not that important until you became sinfully angry. After our desires, to use James's language, or after our passions morph into needs that really aren't needs, then sinful demands will ensue. The angry person, to be honest with you, has too many needs. I don't know of rarely, rarely do you interact with a sinfully angry person where the thing that they really need, they really do need. Let me give you an example of a real need. A real need is, is thirst, water. A person dying of thirst will do almost anything to get a splattering of water to quench his thirst. That is a, that's a life and death. That's a legitimate need. And the need for water controls him. He feels insecure. He feels fearful because he's 
dying of thirst in this illustration, and rightly so, because he will die of thirst if he does not get water. And so he is controlled by this desire for water. Now, that is a real need. But then we have other things that we have elevated to that level of importance, say, when a child does not get his way. One of the best things that a parent can do for a child is to break them of this habit, to make sure that the child does not create this habit. When a child does not get his way, he begins to choose to pout as a tactic to get what he wants. And I'm telling you, if you do not parent that tactic out of the child, it will, it will stay in the child. It's not going to magically disappear. Maybe when the child is regenerated, but if the child is regenerated at 8, 18, or 28 years old, there's going to be some level of habituation inside of that child. And so this pouting child feels he needs something This craving to get it turns into pouting, which is disguised anger. And this is his tactic to acquire what he has elevated to a need. Now, adults do this all the time. Some of the needs that we have elevated in our American culture, you don't see so much necessarily in third world cultures because they're trying to survive with real needs. But in first world problem cultures, we have desires like love and respect and approval and acceptance and significance and you can go on down the line that we elevate them so high if you don't respect me i will shoot you as we see in social media if you don't respect me i will destroy your property we have elevated it to to such a need that now we respond in rage now i realize we that is hyperbole Uh, from the way that we act, even though it's very real. But I would not want you to get fixed on what you see in social media and say, yeah, they do do that. But think about yourself. Love, respect, approval, significance, acceptance. That you elevate to such a level that if somebody, some person that you have targeted, whether it's your spouse, your parent, your child, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, somebody in your church, that you elevate to that level. And if that individual does not give you what you demand from them, you use anger. Now, in a nutshell, what is missing with a person like this, the angry person, is that they, they, they're missing Christ dying on the cross for their sins. They forget the gospel. Christ on the cross is a component of the gospel. His resurrection, his ascension, his intercession... There are many sides to the gospel, but in a nutshell, he's, he's missing this element of the gospel of Christ dying on the cross for his sins. When I forget this central truth of the Bible, I'm apt to become sinfully angry at someone. Now, if you want a clear portrait of an angry man who forgot the gospel, then I would encourage you to read Matthew 18, starting at verse 23 through 35. That is the passage of the guy who owed 10,000 talents. He was forgiven of this great debt, and he began to beat the hudah out of this person who owed 100 denarii. And that is a core 
passage that we need to come to grips on for the angry person and probably for a whole lot of other sins as well. God has forgiven us so much. It's in those moments before I yield to the temptation to sin, the sin of anger, that I need to inform myself of what I'm missing in the gospel. Now, I have in this, uh, these show notes here, in episode 110, I have a list of, I have a table here. In one column, I have controlled by anger, and I have many iterations of anger. In the other column, I have controlled by the gospel. If I'm controlled by anger, I'm going to be impatient. If I'm controlled by the gospel, I'm going to be patient toward others. If I'm controlled by anger, I'm going to be unforgiving. If I'm controlled by the gospel, I'm going to be ready to forgive. And so that's how it goes. The controlled by anger, controlled by gospel. And so let me give you a few more of these. Frustration, the gospel will give me contentment. Gossip, the gospel will uh, compel me to tell good things about people. Criticalness, the gospel will compel me to find good in others. Uncharitable judging, the gospel will motivate me to compare myself to Christ. Unkindness, kindness, slander, praying for others, silent treatment, quick to reconcile, harsh tones, kind tones, rolling of the eyes, self-control. So you get the idea. And if you need some illustrations of what the put on looks like, what being managed, governed by the gospel looks like, then I would encourage you to Look at this table. So when you deal with anger, you really to understand the heart of it, you need to understand that the person is a weak individual, that he's not under control, that he's broken inside, and he's he's not under self-control, it's fruit of the spirit, but he's being managed by another spirit. Now, for those of you who are victimized by anger, this is where I would want to caution you. In Proverbs 22, 24, it says, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Sometimes I give the homework assignment to the victims of anger is to go to the book of Proverbs and to look up the word uh, fool, folly, and foolishness. Because a person who is sinfully angry, in that moment, he is a fool. If this is the way he is all the time, then he has a heart of folly. He's given to foolishness and and he's a habituated fool because he's not a wise person. A, A wise person will learn how to submit himself to God. A foolish person will not. He will give himself over to other controlling entities. And so you want to be careful when you're dealing with a person who's habituated himself in sinful anger. He is a foolish person. The word folly represents the actions of an angry person. He commits folly. By his fruit you shall know him, and his behaviors reveal his heart, who he is. Because Jesus taught us that words originate from the heart in Luke 6. If the words are foolish, the heart is folly. And if the heart is folly... The person is a fool. The angry man is a fool. And you would be wise to not interact with him by yourself. Now, there are some people, my wife, for example, can interact with me when I'm being a fool, when I'm being impatient, for example. But that's because my life is not characterized by anger. That's not who I am on a regular day-to-day basis, though I do get angry from time to time so she can interact with me. But a person who is caught 
in this sin, habituated in it. That's who they are. You want to remember that that person has given himself up. The truth is that he is serving a little G-O-D. He's breaking the first commandment. He's put other gods before him. He will not submit himself to Jehovah. And if a person is not submitting himself to Jehovah on a day-to-day basis, moment-by-moment basis, then you want to be careful. And so you don't want to go into that situation by yourself. You want to get help, and that is where the church comes in. If you're dealing with a fool, you want to deal with a fool with a community. You want to get help. You don't want to go it alone. And I see this so often with women, particularly wives who are married to angry men and have been that way for years and decades, and and they don't have that kind of help, that kind of support. And that is a sad situation. And if you are in that situation where you are living with an angry person, reach out to us. We can't change that. And I do wish, I I so wish we could change that for you, but we would love to come alongside you. We would love to encourage you. We'd love to give you limited advice in a very difficult situation. And maybe we can rally the church, rally community. Maybe we can get you some help. I don't know, but I do want to try. And so if we can help you, if you struggle with anger or if you're interacting with someone who struggles with anger, please reach out to our ministry and let us help you. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.